death's cold threatening stream shall over me roll. Blessed Savior then in love, fear and distrust removed. Oh, lift me safe above a ransomed soul. That's who we are, a ransomed soul. As we begin our prayer time, I'd ask you to remember Linda Barton. Linda, many of you know, has been sick and has been going through some treatments. She's going to have surgery this week, and I encourage you to lift her up. The schedule right now is that she'll have surgery Thursday morning. You all know those kind of things can change, but as of this morning, that's when it's scheduled, and I encourage you to be in prayer for her. We've got lots of folks in our church and members of our families that very much need prayer. What I'd like to do is just to be silent for a moment. I have some things I'd like to pray about in my family and give you a chance to do the same silently, and then I'll lead us in prayer. One other thing I'd mentioned to you before we pray. One of our members brought it to my attention this week that there's a series called The Bible that's going to start tonight on the History Channel at 8 o'clock. I'm not on commission, I promise. But it's um, it should be a good production. I've looked at some of the material. I've heard an interview with the folks who put the series together. And let me tell you why I mention it. It's a great opportunity for us to invite a non-believing friend in a day when people are not exposed to the word and to sit down and to watch it. It's a 10-part series running through uh, March 31st, through Easter. But to sit down and use it one of these Sunday nights as an opportunity to help somebody else get to know the Word of God. So I encourage you to pray to that end. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that not only have you called us to prayer, but you've given your Son that our unrighteousness might be washed away and that we might have access to you, a righteous God, through Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you care enough about us and love us so much that you would open that door so that we might communicate with you. And thank you, Father, that you promise us in Scripture that you hear every prayer that we offer. Sometimes we're diligent, sometimes we're not in your understanding, and you're there to embrace us and to respond to us. I also thank you, Lord, that you don't always do what we ask you to do. But instead, as the loving Heavenly Father, you do what's right for us and what's good. Sometimes, Lord, you don't respond because you already have. Other times you have us wait so that our faith might be engaged 
And other times, Lord, you take care of the things before we even think to ask for them. Here we are this morning, Lord, to worship you and to thank you and to praise your name, for you are God and we're the created ones. You're working your purpose out, Lord, in the world around us, and you're working your purpose out in our life. And by faith, we embrace that, and we know that to be true. Forgive us, Father. There are a lot of times when we get impatient. A lot of times when, like Adam and Eve, we think we have a better solution to life's problems. Times, Lord, when we ignore you and other times when we just insist that you do it our way. And none of that works, Lord. As we grow in our faith, we know that doesn't work. So please forgive us and help us to allow your Holy Spirit not to be quenched by us and our strong will, but instead for us to surrender and allow him to take over. Father, we have a ways to go for that to be effective. I pray starting again right now that we'd stop thinking so highly of ourselves and think more highly of you and that we would understand this relationship is one built on grace and one built on love. Father, as we've already said, there's a lot going on in the life of our church, a lot of folks who are facing all sorts of issues. Some are vocational issues, some are medical issues, some are broken relationships, some are just things aren't going the way we want them to go. I pray, dear God, that as we place those things before you, that we would have confidence you're going to help us with those things and that you're going to work them out in a way that's pleasing to you and ultimately beneficial to us. And help us to put all of our life into that context, Lord. Father, it's so easy for us to forget about the people who are in military uniforms and police uniforms and all kinds of other folks who put their life on the line physically for us to help us have a better way of life. And while some of those people are across the ocean and around the world, we ask you to be with them, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to use the kind of experiences they're having today to bring them closer to you. And it is a rewarding thing to know that you are there, just like you're here, and that you are working in our lives and theirs. I thank you for our church, Lord, and I thank you for the heart that we have been given. I thank you for the love that's growing day by day in our church, love for you and love for one another. And I pray that from the inside out, you would make us stronger by drawing us closer and closer to you. Help us, Lord, as the days go by to have your mind and to love the way that you love. Thank you, dear Father. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together today and to worship together. Thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians in your Bible.
to the 11th chapter. And we're going to study beginning with the 23rd verse. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, beginning with the 23rd verse, and we're going to study through the 26th verse. Please keep your Bibles open and please follow along as I move through the passage verse by verse. I have a very simple understanding of my task, and I want to remind you of it. My job is not to be flashy up here. My job is not to impress you with my intellect, which I couldn't do if I tried. My job is very simple. I sit down and study the Word of God. And then my job is to help you benefit from what I've studied so that together we might grow in our knowledge of God and what He would have for us. So what I'm going to do in a minute is I'm going to open this up to us And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will do all the work with me and in you. You have your place? Put your finger in your Bible. Let's get some help. Father, we come to you humbly asking that you do for us now what we can't do for ourselves. This isn't just intellect. It's not just education. It's the moving of your powerful Holy Spirit in each one of us. And I pray that, Lord. I pray that as we open your word, that you would now minister to us individually. Capture our minds. Help us to be focused, Lord, and help us to benefit. And help us to go home stronger in our faith and more willing to share it with somebody else. Thank you for this special time in our week. In Jesus' name, amen. I was sitting at my desk working on my sermon for today. And as I was doing that... I had a thought. When God created us, all of us, personality, physically, when he made us, he gave us five senses. One of those senses is very much at play when preaching takes place. It's the hearing of the word. And this is empowered. It is perfect. It's exactly what you and I need to hear today. And that's why he's got you and got me here to hear this passage. So that's one of our senses. Another one of our senses that is very much at play and we don't talk much about is our visual sense. God gave it to us and he gave it to us for a purpose. You can see evidence of the visual when you look around the world that we live in. If you go to Egypt, you can see sphinx and pyramids. And if you look at those which were built by human hands, you begin to understand something about the people who lived and who took part in that culture. And it's there as a reminder to us about some people that we never knew, but people who walked on this earth. You can go across the Mediterranean. You can go to Greece and you can see buildings that were built in a former time by a very sophisticated society. And you can begin to understand about the people in Athens, and you can begin to understand intellectually and even emotionally who they were. You can move a little bit to the west of that, and you can go to Rome, and you can see the remains of the Colosseum and a whole way of life when you walk through the streets of ancient Rome. 
All of those are monuments and testimonies to people who've gone before us. And it's an opportunity for us to share in what they experienced and an opportunity visually, not audibly, but visually, to be able to get our arms around their culture. You can come across the ocean to our country and go to Washington, D.C., like many of us have done, and you can see all sorts of monuments. There are monuments to people, monuments to organizations, monuments that recall the founding of our country and the beauty of this land. And a person who wasn't here in colonial days can begin to relive that because there's a reminder to each one of us the Statue of Liberty, which speaks volumes about who we are and what we're all about, stands as a reminder. God gives us these visual kind of things that you and I can appreciate and understand. Well, God's consistent. He doesn't change. He's immutable. So what God has done in the scriptures and with his children, in part, is visual. What he has done is he has given a burning bush to a man named Moses. There were a lot of ways he could communicate with Moses, but he created a burning bush so that he would visually, as well as audibly, be able to commune with God. He gave the people of Israel an ark, a chest, and they carried that with them, and it was a constant reminder that God was with them. He gave us a cross to remind us of the crucifixion and death. And the cross is empty to remind us of the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. He's given us something else. Every time we walk in the door, we have a communion table and a baptismal font. A reminder of the sacraments a reminder of what God has done for us as an act of grace. You see, visually, we're very caught up with all of that. Some years ago, Linda and I went to Jerusalem, and we saw the Wailing Wall. And the Wailing Wall is believed by the Jews and most other folks to be the western wall of the second temple, of Herod's temple. And people were standing there, taking small pieces of paper where they had written prayer requests, and they were sticking those little pieces of paper into that wall, into the crevices. Some other men, some priests, were standing there with scrolls, and they were reading, one of them from Isaiah when I was there, and they were reading, and groups of people would gather around, and then someone would teach them. And I stood and I watched all of that, and I knew that's a sacred wall to the Jew, and I thought, what is that all about? Is there really something special about that? And then it dawned on me, that wall is a symbol. It's a reminder that God is present and that God is listening. And they present their prayer requests to him. When you and I come into church and we see the two obvious visual objects that represent our sacraments, They ought to speak to us. They ought to have a direct ministry to us and ought to help us prepare for worship every Sunday. God has given those to us just like he's given the cross.
What I want to do this morning, because we're having communion, I want to focus on a communion passage. From the lips of Paul to the people in the church at Corinth, if you look at the 11th chapter, beginning with the 23rd verse, I want you to listen very carefully because God is about to speak to us, just like Paul was speaking on behalf of God to the people at Corinth. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you read John Calvin's works, you'll see that one of the themes that John Calvin focuses on a lot is the significance of the word and the sacraments. He says and I believe this, that there's a power in the Word and that when the Word is preached in that power of the Holy Spirit, it changes people's lives. Calvin goes a step further and says the two sacraments do exactly the same thing, that this is an opportunity to be in graft. And you know what happens when grafting takes place. You take two, put them together. One almost always dominates the other, but you have a new entity. And what happens when we're in graft through the sacraments is the Holy Spirit does a work in us and Christ who lives in us begins to dominate and take over and be the true Lord of our life. My desire today is for us to partake, not just physically, but spiritually, of this opportunity. For us to remember, and as we remember, for us to be engrafted to God. There are a couple of our churches that I have worked with over the years that did not have communion tables in the sanctuary when I got there. One of them didn't have a communion table or a baptismal font. And we went through a process of talking, as you might imagine, behind closed doors, some of the leadership and I, about the significance of having a table and for it to be visible. And isn't it interesting, most of the tables have written on the front of them, do this in remembrance of me. I wonder where that came from. You see, what God wants is he wants us to focus on these things so they'll minister to us. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and Paul is saying, let me tell you what I received from the Lord. Now, how did he receive what he's about to say from the Lord? It's very simple. Jesus was in the room with his disciples and was going to celebrate the Passover. And he instituted what we now know as the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the Last Supper. He instituted that, and the disciples then went about that practice because God has always wanted us, his church, 
to do this on a repetitive basis so we will be reminded over and over again. I'm amazed, and I say this all the time to people. I used to know that, or I used to know that. I just have to keep learning the lessons over and over. Are you like that? I mean, there's some important things I just don't seem to be able to retain. And I think part of it is not my age. I think part of it... Well, it's not. I think part of it is there are a lot of things that we know, but we don't do them repetitively. So they're back here in the back somewhere. And then at 2 o'clock in the morning when nobody's interested, you wake up and you remember them. Well, I think what the Lord is doing with the Lord's Supper and with baptism is he's keeping these objects in front of us so we visually see them as a constant reminder of what he's done for us by grace so that we won't forget it. And praise God, we celebrate 13 times a year, Monday, Thursday, and the first Sunday of each month. So what Paul is saying is he received this, and the way he surely received it was through the practice of the church, and as he was enfolded into that very beginning of the New Testament church, he began to then communicate what had been given to him. And now, my friends, it's given to you, and it's given to me. If you look carefully at the verse, he says, For I received then from the Lord that which was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. Isn't that an interesting reference point? He wants us to know when this first communion took place. I have a little tree that I hang things on because it helps me remember things. And when I think about Holy Week, I think about the triumphal entry when Jesus and the disciples and a crowd of other people who were followers of his made their way into the city of Jerusalem. And as they came into the city, you remember people were standing along the roads and were cheering and throwing palm branches down. And everybody wanted to see this itinerant preacher. They didn't know who he was. They didn't understand the significance But they were excited about him coming. He went into the city of Jerusalem, and when dark started to fall, he withdrew from the city. He went back down out of the eastern gate into the Kidron Valley, up onto the side of Mount Olivet, around Mount Olivet to the backside to a little village named Bethany. And there his dear friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And he spent Sunday night with them. Monday he got up and walked the couple of miles back around the mount, back through the valley, back up through that eastern gate. And he went to the temple. And you remember what happened. It actually happened on two different occasions during his ministry. He walked into the temple and there were money changers and people selling sacrificial animals. And you remember he turned over the tables and he pronounced this is a place of prayer. I hope I never offend you with this. Don't do business here. Don't do that. When you walk in this door, come to worship and to fellowship and to love each other. If you come in here and you see an opportunity to do some kind of business where you'll profit, I promise you, you won't care about the spiritual well-being of the people you're talking to. Somehow that money or that self-interest will dominate. So don't do that. Come in here all of us, just men and women simply coming 
to say praise God. I also think as I think through that little litany of things that happened that after he left the temple that Monday, he went back to Bethany, came back in on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and taught in the temple. And then Thursday, he didn't go back to Bethany. Instead, providentially, a room was set aside and he and his disciples went into that room to celebrate Passover, a time to remember visually and audibly what had happened in Egypt when God allowed the angel of death to go through the streets of Egypt. And instead of taking the lives of the firstborn of everybody and everything in that country, instead, through the sacrificial blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses of his children, the angel of death passed over them. And here they are, all those years later, still practicing the Passover. And as they sit at the table together, Jesus institutes what you and I know is the Lord's Supper. The night he was betrayed, they left that supper. They went down out of that same eastern gate, down through the Kidron Valley, up onto the side of Mount Olivet and went into a garden, an olive garden. And there Jesus was betrayed and arrested. Friday, and it's always been interesting to me, we call it Good Friday, he went through the most horrendous suffering. And when you read the account of the suffering in Scripture, it'll break your heart. Isaiah truly captures it. And then he's crucified. And he dies not for anything that he has done. Why did he die? Because of you and because of me. He took our place. And then the week is complete when on Sunday morning the tomb is opened and he's not in the tomb. He has been physically raised from the dead. That's Holy Week. That's what we now call Holy Week. And just think of all the visual things that we have from Holy Week that help us get in touch with that. And when we look at this communion table, it ought to bring all of that back to our memories. That's one reason God's given it to us. If you look on down in 24, it says, And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, there's been a lot of discussion, and still is, and a lot of division among denominations, with some denominations believing that when you partake of the elements, transubstantiation takes place, which means that those elements, when the priest or the minister pray over them, are transformed into the literal body and blood of Jesus. That's not what we believe. Others believe in consubstantiation. Others believe that when you take those elements that have been set aside and you put them in your mouth, con, with, put them in your mouth, they become literally body and blood. That's not what we believe either. What we believe is that 
when I pray before we take those elements today, they're going to be set aside for a holy use. And as we put them in our mouth, there's a moving of the Holy Spirit to engraft us to Christ. And he deals with us individually, and he draws us closer to him. So the spiritual effect that transubstantiation, consubstantiation, and our position, the spiritual effect is the same. It's to come closer to the Lord. And he would like us to come closer to him. When you talk about the body, there are those who say, well, his body was broken when he was on the cross. And that's not quite true. And prophecy says that his bones would not be broken. So what we believe is, as I read the scriptures, that our Lord was hanging on a cross, apparently destined to die. There were those who would come and break his legs to speed that process up because it was Friday afternoon and because their Sabbath would start as the sun went down. But they didn't get there early enough to speed up his death. He was in control of that moment. Nobody else. Not the Romans, not the Jews. God, like in everything else in our life, was in control of that moment. And Scripture clearly says Jesus took his last breath and he gave up his life. Nobody took it. He was predestined to come to this world, to live as a man, to witness to teach, to minister, to die, and to be raised from the dead. And God was in control of every bit of that. And Jesus said, it's over. It's finished. And he died. When you look at the table, remember why he died. He gave himself for you. He did for you what you cannot do for yourself. He atoned for our sins. He opened the door wide for us to spend eternity for sure, for sure, with God. A very dear friend of mine died this weekend, and Linda and I spent some time with part of his family yesterday afternoon before we came back to town in They looked at me and they said, George is in heaven, isn't he? And I said, I sure think so. I heard his testimony many years ago, and I saw him live it out. And I know what was in his heart, and he loved Jesus because Jesus loved him. The door was open. And when God called him to step across that threshold, my buddy George was ushered in by the angels of God. And I believe Jesus was holding his hand. Don't ever be afraid of that. Don't. The most precious time of life is yet before us. And it awaits us. If you look on down in the passage, he says in the 25th verse, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. 
There are those words again, in remembrance of me. That's what this is all about, for us to remember. I love the symbolism of the cup. We've just had, and still are having in our denomination, some discussion and debate over the proper way of administering the sacraments. And there's been some discussion about, and this has been now defeated, I believe, about whether it's okay to take a cup and to dip bread in it and then to take the bread, or if it's two separate elements. When I read my scripture, I hear there was one cup. I don't hear anybody wanting to debate whether we're going to say to all of our churches, you have to use a common cup. But that's what the scriptures say. And you know what I think that's symbolic of? I think that's symbolic of God saying, here, I want you to share and I want you to share in this cup and I want you to pass it from person to person because we are a family. And you have been adopted into this family and God is the head of this family. And I think that's what that common cup is all about. So as Jesus passed it around to his disciples, he was saying, look at the inclusiveness of this. Look how you've been enfolded into this family. And you really want to be a fisherman. Or you really want to be a tax person. But you never thought about being part of my family. But God thought about it. And he folded them in. He says to us, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know how precious blood is? I have a friend who was driving down the street one afternoon many years ago, and he was in a horrendous automobile wreck. And his chest was thrust onto the steering wheel and broke the steering wheel, and part of the broken wheel went through his chest and severed his aorta. You know what that means? Moments, and you bleed out. Providentially, a car had stopped at the intersection. A coronary surgical nurse. I love this. So did Sonny, my friend. A coronary surgical nurse is in the car. She gets out of the car. She runs to Sonny's car. And here this man is on the steering wheel, literally bleeding to death. Smile, folks. This is a pretty story. She pushes him back, and she reaches into his chest cavity and holds his aorta together until emergency equipment gets there and they can get to a trauma center. Sonny is now a retired dentist. He has a little bit of problem with circulation in his lower body. Spends a lot of time in a wheelchair. But you know, he went back to work, rearranged his work area, so and he's a dentist for children, and all of the patients are in a semicircle, and he motors up to them to take care of them. Blood is so precious. It's life. And when you partake of the cup, you're reminded that the most precious thing we have, Jesus gave for you and for me. That's how much he loves us. 
That's how much he cares about us. That he would bleed for us and then die. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You know, there are a lot of ways you can proclaim your relationship with the Lord. You can do that by what you say. You can do that by what you write. You can do that by where you go. You can do it by your lifestyle. You can do it by the privacy of your own thoughts that only you and God know about. You can proclaim Jesus. You can partake of these elements today, and with the Holy Spirit having the freedom to work in you, you are making proclamation that you understand and you're the beneficiary of what he has done lovingly for you. That's how you proclaim it. And that is a life-changing experience, just as surely as the preaching of the word is. And then he makes a wonderful little theological reminder to us. He says, in essence, I want you to keep doing this because you'll forget about it if you don't. I want you to do it on a repetitive basis until what? Jesus comes again. Don't take your eyes off of that reality. He's coming again, folks. And he's coming to get his church triumphant and usher us into the most beautiful promise that all of Scripture has. He's going to take us to heaven. I'm not going to go fishing anymore. I'm going to go catching. You have some special things waiting in heaven for you. You have some special folks that you look forward to seeing. You look forward to getting out of bed in the morning and not wondering if you can. Looking forward to being able to walk and not have any aches. When I was with my friends yesterday afternoon, I said to the family and to the wife of the deceased, I said, can you picture your husband? in his football uniform when he played ball in college and how he wrecked and how much of a man he was. I said, don't you imagine he's standing that kind of erect in heaven right now, no longer laboring in this broken world with a broken body. We proclaim until Jesus comes again. And he says, y'all come, you hear? And he puts his arms around his church and takes us to glory. An absolute promise. Okay, did I, did I give you some things to think about as you come to the table today? When you're sitting there waiting for the elements to be passed to you or waiting to take them, just pick out a few of those thoughts and give the Holy Spirit freedom to minister to you. Let's pray together. Father, you're the one who set this table for us. You're the one, dear God, who loves us so much. 
I pray, Lord, that you would now set these elements aside, that they might minister to us in the very way that you intended, and that when we are through with our time together around the table today, that we will be engrafted to you more than we were when we walked in. Bless us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.